welcome to Over in Smith and HP Lovecraft podcast, where we read HP HP Lovecraft stories in mostly chronological order, and we even release an audiobook if it isn't too boring or racist. Um, my name is Art, and with me today is just a bunch of they're not little guys, but they're you know I would put them in the in the category of little guy, even though they are giant crabs. Faith, sup. It's me. Yeah. Uh, definitely not several thousand crabs in a trench coat. I, um, next time I do, next time I refine that one campaign I had you guys do, uh-huh. I'm definitely going to have a village of people Crabby. that are crabs trying to, like, that. there's going to be a village of people who are surrounded by a bunch of crabs that are very interested in them that they, then the crabs think they're doing a really jo- good job at hiding, but they're not. <laughs> Um, and there's just one asshole. There's one asshole in there that wants to hurt them. And everyone's just like, they're just little guys. Come on. They're just little guys. Come on. <laughs> they're just little guys. What if they did? hurt a little guy on his birthday. <laughs> and guess what? It's always their birthday. Always. So you, there's, yeah, there's thousands of them. It could be any of their birthday at any given time. <laughs> they get a birthday year. Yeah. You can't hurt them. Uh, and everyone understands except for like one dude uh, and it's gonna be and you have to you have to convince that dude that they're just little guys basically our first decree about the crabs is that they shall not be harmed on their birthday the second degree is that their birthday is every day okay goodbye (laughs) (laughs) happy crab birthday (laughs) it's also every month is also crab history month so it's literally racist if you hurt them (laughs) We learn about the history of crabs and carcinogation when we will all become the crave. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, the first uh, the first part, which we uh, we read like what felt like a long time ago. I know because uh, last week I didn't like sleep at all and I couldn't record because I didn't sleep. Don't do that, kids. You should really sleep. <laughs> yeah, don't be like me and don't sleep. Uh, you turns out it doesn't help your depression at all. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> no. Uh, tried my best. Yeah, but yeah, um, <laughs> we read forever but, ago the first part. Yeah, but the first part was uh, real good. We talked about we talked about uh, talked about this area, and I already forgot what name it was called. Uh, it's in uh, Vermont. It's in Vermont. <laughs> yeah, but we talked about the history. We talked about the history of uh, these, uh, you know, these these weird things. That don't attack anyone, and sometimes they like looking at here, uh, looking at humans, uh, and uh, they just kind of live in the uh, like deep wilds of Vermont, and uh, you see them flying. You see crabs with wings, yeah, that seem to fly into space. Just some little bipedal crabs that go to space. Sometimes they live in the mountains. Yeah, uh, yeah. We learned that our uh, protagonist is like a folklorist. Yeah, well, no, an amateur folklorist, yeah. but enough, like, a good enough one that people are just like, hey, this might be interesting for you. Yeah, so he's trying to learn more about these little guys, because there was a big flood, which we learned was a real thing that happened in Vermont and killed, like, a, a lot of people. A lot, like, 80 people, damn, in the 1920s. Um, and that within the floodwaters, there washed out a bunch of bodies of these little crabby people. 
Yeah, Which these little guys. Now people makes me these very guys. sad now that we learn about the Krabby People War. And like and honestly, like they also had a whole couple paragraphs about like how sometimes they, you would see like claw prints on the on the windows where you could <laughs> like, see that they're clearly looking at the windows. They and it's their just like crabby faces up against. <laughs> I just love them so much. Yeah, they're, they just, they're they're little dudes. I love these little guys. These little these little guys. Yeah, they they try not to bother humans, and when they do, they kind of just cause a little bit of mischief. Uh, apparently, they try and imitate human speech, but it's not great. They try their best. Yeah. That's what. Like I love these guys. Yeah, but, we just dis- yeah. we have decided. So first first chapter summarized. We love we love these little guys. Yeah, love- these little guys are fine. We love these little guys. Yeah, unless you try to fuck with them, they don't fuck with you. And also, they sometimes sometimes they just want to see what humans are doing. They just want to know what we're up to. Like, how do you hold a teacup? They don't know. They have claws. Yeah, like that's weird. What are fingers? <laughs> you got thumbs. What's that all about? They just want. Why do you know. have doors? We just have built boulders. <laughs> why would why would that thing's so small? Why would you why would you want to? Like, how are you doing that? Why do you have windows? Why do you have things where people can see in? Why do you have... That's weird. What's that thing that you lay down on for, like, eight hours at a time? What's up with that? Yeah. They just Uh, want to know. Yeah, but these little guys rock. So far, we don't know. Maybe they're the bad guys. I'm gonna have a... Actually, I think they are part of the bad guys, but honestly, I think I'm gonna be on... I think I like them too much. But you (laughs) know what? Mm, You know. You know. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to start. Uh, oh my god, I I love this book, but also it's fucking massive. <laughs> Which are you reading out of the special edition one? Yeah, yeah, it is. Like the leather bound one's already pretty hefty, but like that special edition one is even more. Stuff. It's just real big. It's a big book. Holds all okay. those crap facts. It does, but uh. Sorry, there's a I heard it. <laughs> ambulance. Yeah. Also, ambulance. I took me Okay, so remember in the uh late aughts uh when there's that one video of like an older black dude who just like knocks the shit out of this guy being racist and he cause it's he says, Someone calls the ambulance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like that it took me forever just to be able to say ambulance again. Ambulance. Because I kept on saying Amber Lamps. Because that was always running in my head. Also, they did a vid- Also, they did a direct uh, DVD video with Danny Trejo where he played, like, that older dude. Oh, hell yeah. And, like, yeah. That's Danny like- Trejo is a true working actor. I love him. He- they should make a movie- He should make a movie now, uh, it- just in the same vein of dudes knocking out racist- assholes in public and do the one where that guy hit that other guy with the twisted T yeah. <laughs> in the gas station <laughs> and knocked his ass out. It was so good. <laughs> Chapter 2. It was only natural under circumstances. This piquant debating finally got into print in the form of letters to Arkham Advertiser, some of which were copied in the press of those Vermont regions whence the flood stories came. The Rutland Herald gave half a page of extracts from the letters on both sides, while the Brattleboro reformers reprinted one of my long historical and mythological summaries in full, with some of the accompanying comments. 
from the Pin Drifters Thoughtful column, which supported and applauded my skeptical conclusions. By spring of 1928, I was almost a well-known figure in Vermont, notwithstanding the fact I never set foot in the state. Then came the challenging letters from Henry Akeley, which impressed me so profoundly that it took me for the first time and last time to the fascinating realms of crowded green precipices in muttering forest streams. There is a uh, fun facts as well. So the yeah, so the Herald and Reformer have respectively second and third largest circulations of Vermont newspapers and commenced publications in 1794 and 1873. In the 1920s, the Reformer circulation was probably about 2,000 copies daily. 2,500 copies daily. It grew to three times that size by the 1950s, and today is at about 6,700 printed uh, copies daily. The Herald has with a current circulation of around 11,000 copies daily, went through a similar cycle. For comparison, the largest circulation today of that is that of Burlington Free Press, which is about 28,500 daily. So not an insignificant paper. Um, Yeah. Most of what I know of Henry Wentworth, Akeley, was gathered by correspondence with his neighbors and with his only son in California. After my experience in his lonely farmhouse, he was, I discovered, the last representative of his home soil, of long locally distinguished line of jurists, administrators, and gentlemen agriculturalists, aka I'm a rich person with a farm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gentlemen anything is I'm rich and bored. I'm gonna do this now. <laughs> what if I grow beans? <laughs> yeah. Which I'm not saying you can't do that, but also, you know, just gentleman anything. Yeah. Just gentleman adventurer, gentleman spy. scientist, gentleman spy. Yeah. Just means yeah. you're rich. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're a rough, you're, you're a rough woman? Nope, that's not the opposite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you're, you're a rough animal if you're, uh, if you're poor. A rough creature. <laughs> a rough creature. Yeah. Although at the same time, a rough woman sounds like someone I'd want to hang out uh, around yeah, with. Yeah, not gonna so. lie. Yeah. In him, however, the family mentally had veered away from practical affairs to pure scholarship, so that he had been a notable student of mathematics, astronomy, biology, anthropology, and folklore at the University of Vermont. I had never previously heard of him and he did not give many autobiographical details in his communications. But from the first, I saw that he was a man of character, education, and intelligence, albeit a recluse with very little of worldly sophistication. Despite the incredible nature of what he claimed, I could not help at once taking Akeley more seriously than I had taken the other challengers of my views. For one, he was really close to the actual phenomena visible and tangible, that he speculated so grotesquely about. And for another thing, he was amazingly willing to leave his conclusions in a tentative state, like a true man of science. He had no personal preferences to advance, and was always guided by what he took to be solid evidence, 
Of course I began c- considering him mistaken, but gave him credit for being intelligently mistaken. And at no time did I emulate some of his friends in attributing his ideas and his fears of the lonely green mountains to insanity. I could see that there was a great deal to the man, and knew that what he reported must surely come from, from strange circumstances deserving investigation, however little it may be to do with the fantastic causes he assigned. Later, he received from him certain material proofs, which placed the matter on somewhat different and bewilderingly bizarre bias. I cannot do better than describe in full, as far as possible, the long letter which Ackley introduced himself, which formed such an important landmark in my own intellectual history that is no longer in my possession, but my memory holds most every word of its portentous message. And again, I conform my confidence and sanity of the man who wrote it. Here is the text, a text which reached me in the cramped, archaic-looking scrawl of one who obviously not mingled much with the world during his sedate scholarly life. And... I like how he's just like, yo, uh, this guy sent me, like, a weird letter out of nowhere because I wrote a column (laughs) about how crab people aren't real. (laughs) And To be fair, he was wrong. (laughs) This guy sent a letter like, actually. (laughs) (laughs) RFD number two. Townsend, Wenham County, Vermont, May 5th, 1928. Albert N. Wilmarth, Esquire, 118 Saltonstall Street, Arkham, Massachusetts. My dear sir, I have read with great interest the Battleboro Reformers reprint, April 23rd, 1928, of your letter on the recent stories of strange bodies seen floating on our flooded streams last fall and on the curious folklore they so well agree with. It is easy to see why an outlander would take the position you take, and even why Pendrifter agrees with you. That is the attitude generally taken by educated persons, both in and out of Vermont, and was my own attitude as a young man, I am now 57, before my studies, both general and in Davenport's book, led me to do some exploring in parts of the hills hereabout not usually visited. I was directed towards such studies by the queer old tales I used to hear from elderly farmers, of the more ignorant sort, but now I wish I had let the whole matter alone. I might say, with all proper modesty, that the subject of anthropology and folklore is by no means strange to me. I took a good deal of it at college and am familiar with most of the standard authorities, such as Tyler, Lubbock, Fraser, Quatrefages, Murray, Osborne, Keith, Boulay, G. Elliot Smith, and so on. It is no news to me that tales of hidden races are as old as all mankind, and I have seen the reprints of letters from you and those arguing with you in the Rutland Herald, and guess I know about where your controversy stands at the present time. What I desire to say now is that I am afraid your adversaries are nearer right than yourself, even though all reason seems to be on your side. They are nearer right than they realize themselves, for of course they go only by theory, and cannot know what I know. 
If I knew as little of the matter as they, I would not feel justified in believing as they do. I would be wholly on your side. You can see that I am having a hard time getting to the point, probably because I really dread getting to the point. But the upshot of the matter is that I have certain evidence that monstrous things do indeed live in the woods on the high hills which nobody visits. I've not seen any of the things floating in the rivers, as reported, but I have seen things like them, under circumstances I dread to repeat. I've seen footprints, and of late have seen them nearer to my own home. I live in the old Akeley place south of Townsend Village, on the side of Dark Mountain. And I dare tell you now that I have overheard voices in the woods at certain points that I will not even begin to describe on paper. At one place I heard them so much that I took a phonograph there with a dictaphone attachment and a wax blank. And I shall try to arrange to have you hear the record I got. I have run it on the machine for some of the old people up here, and one of the voices had nearly scared them, paralyzed by reason of its likeness to a certain voice, that buzzing voice in the woods which Davenport mentions, that their grandmothers have told about and mimicked for them. I know what most people think of a man who tells about hearing voices, but before you draw conclusions, just listen to this record and ask some of the older backwoods folk what they think of it. If you can account for it normally, very well. But there must be something behind it. Ex nihilo nihil fit. You know. Now, my object in writing to you is not to start an argument, but to give you information which I think a man of your taste will find deeply interesting. This is private. Publicly, I am on your side. For certain things shew me that it does not do for people to know too much about these matters. My own studies are now wholly private, and I would not think of saying anything to attract people's attention and cause them to visit the place I have explored. It is true, terribly true, that there are non-human creatures watching us all the time, with spies among us gathering information. It is from a wretched man who, if he was sane, as I think he was, was one of those spies, that I got a large part of my clues to the matter. He later killed himself, but I have reason to think there are others now. We can't let people know about the little guys. No, the little guys. We need to protect the little guys. We have to protect the little guys. They're just like little dudes. They're just doing their snip snips in the woods. Also, that list of people, because, uh, you know, Taylor, Libbuck, Fraser, Bartfrage, uh-huh. Worry, uh, you know, all those. Uh-huh. Those are, like, you know, a list of, like, anthropologists and folklorists. Ooh. That are real. I had a feeling. I'm surprised we haven't... Uh, I feel like whenever he makes a list about writers, he always either mentions Alza Red or he mentions Olius uh, 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 Wormius or Old Worm. Oh, by the way, remember, uh, remind me to have you on the Marvel version of uh, Abdul Azared. <gasps> yes. Oh, my God. That's right. I forgot he's in Marvel. Yeah. I also forget, like, Santa and elves are a thing in Marvel, so... Yeah. 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 But yeah, Abdul Azared is in here, so I'm going to make sure to have you on for that. Oh, one. hell yeah. I'm into that. Also, then the one right after that's a sexy robot, so you might want to oh, be Oh, hell one yeah. 
<laughs> I'm always here for sexy robots. <laughs> I'll always show up for sexy robots. But yeah, um, I'm going to do that right now. But uh, but yeah, so there's a list of like, I'm not going to go through all of their stuff, but they're real people. Cool. Cool. Um, and uh, they were also um, the Margaret Alice. Good uh, <laughs> tight. Murray. Was also mentioned in um, Oh yeah, she was the one that uh, wrote the witch cult book that he loves yeah. to reference. Yep. Yeah, he loves loves the witch cult yeah. book. Um, and there was another thing we needed to mention, which is and that one's twenty two. No, no, twenty. Yeah. So, um, Henry Fairborn Osborne, which is a nephew of uh, J. B. Morgan. And son of the founder of the Illinois Central uh, Rail Station and American geologist, paleontologist, and genesist. Oh. And the president. <laughs> yeah. He, you know, he did a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he wasn't, he was actually part of the team, um, defense team for the controversial Scopes Monkey Trial in 1925. Um, and Scopes was eventually convicted for teaching evolution, contrary of uh, to Tennessee law. Oh, okay, so that fun. was it. Okay. Yep, that one. Um, and sorry. Uh, there, sorry. There's a lot. They mentioned a lot in that. Um, there's also an anatomist on there, an anthropologist. Uh, that was uh, Sir Arthur. Uh, Sir Arthur Keith and. Did we get to the end of that yet? No, we haven't. Um, also another anonymous, which was uh, Sir Grafton Elliot Smith. Also, also like uh, they make a note here that's like the list seems a little too extensive to be true. Some of the scholars were little known of the time. Ackley was uh, in school, which would have been uh, 30 to 40 years earlier. Oh, that is in the late 19th century. That is it good sounds point. like he was. Seeking uh, to uh, to impress uh, Wilmarth with his up to dateness. Ooh, he just wants to impress his maybe new friend. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. I always forget that this is during the 1920s when J.P. Morgan was a person that was alive. <laughs> yeah. And not just a company, a bank. To be fair, J.P. Morgan also had uh, banks and companies at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Was a big and a company, but also was a real person that that was named after. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> let's see. Let's see how he wants to uh, to talk about the little guys with his new friend. The things come from another planet. Being able to live in interstellar space and fly through it on clumsy, powerful wings, which have a way of resisting the ether, but which are too poor at steering to be much of use in helping them out about on Earth. I will tell you about this later, if you do not dismiss me at once as a madman. Yeah, maybe don't start with they have wings and can fly in space. <laughs> Yo, so I know you think a lot of people are crazy, but these things have wings and flying in space. Also, they're crabs. <laughs> I'm just saying. They also have I'm, spies among human beings. I met one. <laughs> also, they learn, they try to learn how to speak like us. Uh, I'm, no, I'm not crazy. No. 
they're just some little guys. Don't worry about it. It's fine. But also, yes, they have large wings that that they're not very good at steering. <laughs> oh, buddy, you're trying. They come here to get metals from mines that go deep under the hills, and I think I know where they come from. They will not hurt us if we let them alone, but no one can say what will happen if we get too curious about them. Of course, a good army of men could wipe out their mining colony. That is what they are afraid of. But if that happened, more would come from outside. Any number of them. They could easily conquer the earth, but have not tried so far because they have not needed to. They would rather leave things as they are to save bother. I think they mean to get rid of me because of what I have discovered. There is a great black stone with unknown hieroglyphs half-worn away, which I found on the woods on Round Hill, east of here. And after I took it home, everything became different. If they think I suspect too much, they will either kill me or take me off the earth to where they come from. They like to take away men of learning once in a while to keep informed on the state of things in the human world. This leads me to my secondary purpose in addressing you, namely to urge you to hush up the present debate rather than give it more publicity. People must be kept away from these hills, and in order to affect this, their curiosity ought not to be aroused any further. Heaven knows there is peril enough anyways, with promoters and real estate men flooding Vermont with herds of summer people to overrun the wild places and cover the hills with cheap bungalows. I shall welcome further communication with you, and shall try to send you a phonograph record and blackstone, which is so worn that photographs don't shoe much. Buy express if you are willing. I say try, because I think those creatures have a way of tampering with things around here. There is a sullen, furtive fellow named Brown on a farm near the village, who I think is their spy. Little by little, they are trying to cut me off from our world, because I know too much about their world. I just imagine he's, like, watching him, like, just one day doing whatever, the, the guy he thinks is a spy, and he puts on an oven mitt and does the crab cloth thing, <laughs> and he's like, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> oh my god he's working with them. <laughs> there's no other explanation they have most amazing way of finding out what I do you may not even get this letter I think I shall have to leave this part of the country and go and live with my son in San Diego, California, if things get any worse. But it is not easy to give up the place you were born in, and where your family has lived for six generations. Also, I would hardly dare sell this house to anybody now that the creatures have taken notice of it. They seem to be trying to get the black stone back and destroy the phonograph record, but I shall not let them if I can help it. My great police dogs always hold them back, for there are very few here as yet, and they are clumsy on getting about. As I have said, their wings are not much use for short flights on Earth. I am on the very brink of deciphering that stone, in a very terrible way. With your knowledge of folklore, you may be able to supply missing links enough to help me. I suppose you know all about the fearful myths antedating the coming of man to the earth, the Yogg-Sagoth and Cthulhu cycles. 
which are hinted at in the Necronomicon. I had access to a copy of that once, and I hear you have one in your college library under lock and key. To conclude, Mr. Wilmarth, I think that our respective studies, we can be very useful to each other. I don't wish to put you in any peril, and I suppose I ought to warn you that possession of the stone and the record won't be very safe, but I think you will find any risks worth running for the sake of knowledge. I will drive down to Newfane or Battleboro to send you whatever you authorize me to send, for the express offices there are more likely to be trusted. I might say that I live quite alone now, since I can't keep hired help anymore. They won't stay because of the things that try to get near the house at night and keep the dogs barking continually. I am glad I didn't get as deep as into this business while my wife was alive, for it would have driven her mad. Hoping I am not bothering you unduly and that you will decide to get in touch with me rather than throw this letter into the wastebasket. As a madman's raving I am. Yours very truly, Henry W. Akeley. P.S. I am making some extra prints of certain photographs taken by me, which I think will help to prove a number of the points I have touched on. The old people think they are monstrously true. I shall send you these very soon if you are interested. H.W.A. It would be difficult to describe my sentiments upon reading this strange document for the first time. By all ordinary rules, I ought to have laughed more loudly at this extravagances than at the far milder theories which had previously moved me to mirth. Yet something in the tone of the letter made me take it with more paradoxical seriousness. Not that I believe for a moment in a hidden race from the stars, which my correspondent spoke of. After some grave preliminary doubts, I grew to feel oddly sure of his sanity and sincerity, and of his confrontation by some genuine, though singular, and abnormal phenomenon, which he could not explain except in his imaginative ways. It could not be as he thought it. I reflected yet, on the other hand, it could not be otherwise than worthy of investigation. The man seemed unduly excited and alarmed about something, but it was hard to think that all cause was lacking. He was so specific and logical in certain ways, and after his yarn did fit so perplexingly well with some of the old myths, even the wildest Indian legends, that he really overheard disturbing voices in the hills and really found the black stone he spoke of was wholly possible despite the crazy inferences he had made. Inferences probably suggested by the man who had claimed to be a spy of, of the outer beings, and had later killed himself. It is easy to deduce that this man must be wholly insane, but that he probably had a streak of perverse outward logic, which made the native Akeley, already prepared for such things by his folklore studies, believe his tale. As for the latest developments, it appeared from his inability to keep hired help that Akeley's humbler, rustic neighbors were as convinced as he that his house was besieged by uncanny things at night. The dogs really barked, too. Um, that, uh, like, if you take out the, you know, that they're crap people thing, mm -hmm. um, some, uh, some of the things that he was saying reminds me a lot of the Hopkinsville goblins. Oh, yeah! Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. Like a house besieged at night by strange creatures. I was thinking, I was like, this sounds very familiar. <laughs> Which I need to redo that episode uh, on Creepy Critters. I might have you on it just because I need to redo it. And I, want- I feel like you would really enjoy the newspaper articles about it. Yes. Let's talk about goblins. <laughs> talk about newspapers. And they're definitely just owls. <laughs> but... But, but yeah, <laughs> they're definitely just owls. Nice, I like it. <laughs> but but they might not be. I don't know. I mean, owls are already scary in and of themselves. And also, a lot of cryptids are owls or bears. Owls or bears, yeah. I I mean, yeah. like uh, or raccoons. Sometimes they're raccoons. Sometimes they're bats. <laughs> yeah, it's just creepy critters at night. You know, there's little, little night nighttime critters. <laughs> One time uh, we were staying, my aunt and uncle have a lake house and there's like one house the house is up on the hill and then you go down and there's the actual like dock and stuff you have to go down the hill and then there's like a short field and <laughs> one time my uncle went down to the beach house had to grab something from there and then he like was walking across the field with a headlight and <laughs> bats started dive bombing him so we're like we're like here yelling. We go out and we watch, and we just see him like flailing around, like running across the field, <laughs> like yelling. And we're like, "What the fuck is happening?" <laughs> my, uh, whenever my uncle and aunts uh, smoked, uh, they would flick the butts into a certain area, and sometimes bats would fly by, and they would, sometimes they would hit a bat, ah! and they would just see the, they would just they just hear a little squeak. Ah! And, no! and left the, the thing. It was real. Oh, I love bats. <laughs> they got it on camera once, and it was, like, kind of cute, but also, you know, like, it was like one of those, oh, no. Oh. But, you know, it was, it was okay. It flew off. But. <laughs> I but, yeah. I love this story so much. This man just wrote to him, like, yeah, uh, crab people exist. They could fly. They have spies. I found this rock on the ground and they really want it. And and this dude is like, okay, cool. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? I'll write it back. I mean, I don't don't believe you, but I think you're not crazy. So, like, I mean, keep on. Go on. I mean, you're saying crazy things, but you're not saying it in the way that crazy people say it. So, I'll write you a letter back. Why not? This is how this is how stuff like the ancient uh, alien theories start. <laughs> Somebody like, tells like you a cons- racist, like a racist who is well spoken, just talks about something in an academic way. People are just like, "Yep, brown people can't create a single thing." Ooh, thanks, buddy. That's exactly what I needed to hear today. <laughs> Why are there pyramids in every ancient uh, civilization? Because it's the best way to stack up rocks. It's literally the easiest way to stack up rocks. Yeah. Literally the easiest uh, way. Human beings like tall things, and that's how you make them tall. You gotta make a pile like that. Babies learn how to make pyramids very easily. Like, it's not aliens. That's just, like, people, yeah, pyramids are fun. Whatever. And they're easy to make. Yeah. That's why every civilization has them. <laughs> they're hard to knock over, too. Like, it's, that's it's true. real simple. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, but and then the matter of the phonograph record, which I could not believe he had obtained in the way he said it must have meant something, whether 
rather animal noises, deceptively like human speech. The speech of some hidden, night-haunting human being decayed to a state not much above that of lower animals. From this, my thoughts went back to the black hieroglyph stone, and to the speculations upon which that might mean. Then, too, what of the photographs which Akeley said he was about to send, and which the old people had found so convincingly terrible. This reminds me, and I was just talking about this with a friend the other day, that um, not everybody lives in a rural area, so they might not know this, but mountain lions can sound like a woman screaming, and it's terrifying. Oh. <laughs> also, fun fact, you don't have to be in the middle of the woods for this. That is true, uh, you rabbits, don't. Uh, rabbits sound like a dying little girl when they're, uh, like, when they're in trouble. Yeah, that. oh, that's right. That is true. Also, I do, we have had mountain lions in my town before. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's pretty terrifying to hear that, like, in the middle of the woods, uh, just screaming. And it's like, uh, A, because uh, that's just scary. And B, because that might mean that a mountain lion is nearby. And mountain lions are terrifying. They are so scary. <laughs> yeah, also, um, owls... Uh, in echoey areas sound a lot like uh, humans. Yeah, that too. So, yeah, also where he, also humans are pattern making creatures, so yeah. we can find patterns in anything. Yeah. Um. So I mean, yeah. cats have evolved to meow at a frequency that gets our attention the best. Yeah. It, so it, and it, I'm guessing it wasn't hard. <laughs> no, it's not. Like it turns out. Humans are really easy to read. It's mostly because of our eyes. Um, but like, yeah, it's there's there's a lot going on with human psychology with and again, I do a cryptid podcast, like I look at a lot of this stuff. A lot of times it's just like um reasons why a lot of a lot of them are owls or like raccoons or bears is because they they're around at night and they have little grabby grabby things. Elk also sound real spooky. Uh, from far away, when they bugle. As I reread the cramped handwriting, I felt, as never before, that my credulous opponents might have more on their side than I conceded. After all, there might be some queer and perhaps hereditary mishappened outcasts in those shunned hills, even though no such race of starborn monsters as folklore claimed. And if there were, then the presence of strange bodies and the flooded streams would not be wholly beyond belief. Was it too presumptuous to assume that both the old legends and the recent reports had this much reality behind them? Even though I harbored these doubts, I felt ashamed that so fantastic a piece of bizarrity, such as Henry Akeley's wild letter, brought them up. In the end, I answered Akeley's letter, adopting a tone of friendly interest and soliciting further particulars. His replies came almost by return mail, contained, true to promise, a number of, of Kodak views of scenes and objects illustrating he had to tell. Glancing at these photos as I took them from the envelope, I felt a curious sense of fright and nearness to forbidden things, for in spite of the vagueness of most of them, they had dimly suggestive power, 
which was intensified by the fact of their being genuine photographs, actual optical links to what they portrayed, and the product of impersonal transmitting process without prejudice, fallibility, or mendacity. It's just some really blurry dick pics. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine taking a dick pic with an old-timey camera would not be easy. <laughs> well, you know, they would still probably come out, like, looking pretty decent, though. Not bad. Probably, if you, if you focus it, I mean, like, you just have to stand still for, like, a couple minutes. You could probably do it. I know uh, how that is. Oh yeah, uh, selfies were like a thing, like oh, almost yeah. immediately I, as cat, as the thing. Cat pictures cat were pics a thing were, immediately. Like people taking pictures of people's dicks and and uh, vaginas and and totally boobs were thing. immediately a thing as well. I just, like I'm just imagining him playing the phonograph and it's just Akeley going these nuts, <laughs> and that's it. The more I looked at them, the more I saw that my serious estimate of Akeley and his story had not been unjustified. Certainly, these pictures carried some conclusive evidence of something in the Vermont hills, which were at least vastly outside of the radius of our common knowledge and belief. Worst thing of all was the footprints. Taken in view of the sun shone on a mud patch somewhere in a deserted upland, it was no cheaply counterfeited thing. I could see at a glance for the sharply defined pebbles and grass blades in the field of vision gave a clear index of scale and left no possibility of tricky double exposure. I called the thing a footprint, but a claw print would be a better term, even though I could scarcely describe it. To say that it was hideously crab-like seemed to be some ambiguity about its direction. It was not very deep or fresh print, but it seemed to be about the size of an average man's foot. From a central pad, pairs of sawtooth nippers projected on the opposite directions. Quite baffling as to function, if indeed the whole object were exclusively an organ of locomotion. Another photograph, evidently a time exposure taken in deep shadow, was the mouth of a woodland cave with a boulder of rounded regularity choking the aperture. On the bare ground in front of it, one could discern a dense network of curious tracks. When I studied the picture with a magnifier, I felt uneasily sure that the tracks were like the one in the other view. A third picture shewed a druid-like circle of standing stones on, on the summit of a wild hill. Around the cryptic circle, the grass was very much beaten down and worn away, though I could not detect any footprints, even with the glass. The extreme remoteness of the place was apparent from the veritable sea of tenantless mountains which formed the background and stretched away towards the misty horizon. But the most disturbing of all the views was that of the footprints. The most curiously suggestive was that of the great black stone found in the Round Hill Woods. Akeley had photographed it on what was evidently his study table, for I can see three rows of books and a bust of Milton in the background. The thing was nearly 
as one might guess, had faced the camera vertically, with a somewhat irregularly curved surface of one by two feet. But to say anything definite about that surface, or about the general shape of the whole mass, which defies the power of language, what outlandish geometric principles had guided its cuttings? For artificially cut, it surely was. I could not even begin to guess, and never before had I seen any which struck me so strangely and unmistakably alien to this world of the hieroglyphics on the surface. I could distinguish very few, but one or two I did see gave me rather a shock. Of course, they might be fraudulent, for others besides myself had read the monstrous and abhorred Necronomicon of the mad Arab Abdul Azared, but nonetheless made me shiver to recognize certain ideographs which study had taught me to link with the most blood-curdling and blasphemous whispers of things had had a kind of mad half-existence before the Earth and the other inner worlds of the solar system were made. Uh, you did a good job at describing a photograph. Yeah. Or different photographs. Uh, especially um, a photograph of a big black rock. Yeah. I'm just imagining yeah. the uh, 90s S carved into the rock. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Terrible hieroglyph. <laughs> Only in the Necronomicon. Oh my god, now I want to make a Necronomicon reproduction and put the cool S <laughs> in there. Somehow. A peace like, you know, sign, just... the cool S. <laughs> yeah. Turns out it was all the way back, all the way, all the way back before even the mad Arab Abdul Azared, uh, the cool S was around. An eighth grader draws a piece of paper, <laughs> and fucking Randolph Carter walks by and was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Of the five remaining pictures, three were of swamp and hill scenes, which seemed to bear trace of hidden and unwholesome tendencies. Of another was the queer mark in the ground, very near Akeley's home, which he had photographed the morning after a night which the dogs had barked more violently than usual. It was very blurred, and one could really draw no certain conclusions from it, but it did seem fiendishly like another mark or claw print photographed in the deserted uplands. The final picture was of Akeley's place itself. A trim white house of two stories and an attic, about a century and a half old, with another well-kept lawn and stone-bordered path, with a well-kept lawn and stone-bordered path leading up to a tastefully carved Georgian doorway. There were several huge police dogs on the lawn, squatting near a pleasant-faced man with a close-cropped gray beard whom I took to be Akeley himself, his own photographer. One might infer from the tube-connected bulb in his right hand. He described a selfie with his dogs. Oh, oh. he's like, look at my house, look at my dogs. Hello. <laughs> I just, oh. I like to imagine the crowd. People are getting more and more angry at him because he mows his lawn at eight a.m. Yeah. Like every day, they're like, "Your lawn looks good. Stop it." <laughs> From the pictures, I turned to the bulky, closely written letter itself. For the next three hours, I was immersed in a gulf of unutterable horror. 
where Ackley had given only outlines before. He now entered into minute details, presenting large transcripts of words overheard in the woods at night, long accounts of the monstrous pinkish forms spied in thickets at twilight on the hills. The horrible cosmic narrative derived from the application of profound and varied scholarship to the endless bygone discourses of the mad, self-styled spy who killed himself. I, myself, faced by names and terms I had heard elsewhere in the most hideous connections. Yogoth, Great Cthulhu, Tishagoth, Yoshagoth, Riel, Nalathotep, Azared, Haster, Ian, Ling, the Lake of Halley, Bethmora, the Yellow Sign, Lamor Catholos, Bran, and the Magnanimous, and the Magnum in a Magnum, was drawn back through nameless aeons and inconceivable dimensions to the worlds of elder alter entity, which the crazed author of the Necronomicon had only guessed in the vaguest ways. I was told of pits of primal life and of the streams that had trickled down therefrom, and finally the tiny rivulet from one, which had become entangled with the destinies of our own earth. Uh... So, do you want to just go down the list of things he listed? <laughs> yeah, you goth. We already know who Cthulhu is. Yeah, <laughs> so, Yoshagoth, uh, well, sorry, uh, Yogoth, which was later identified as a planet Pluto. Oh! <laughs> yeah, it was also named in the poetry cycle of Fungi from Yogoth, uh, Lovecraft's yeah. poetry cycle, uh, from a letter from uh, Duane Wamal, uh, Ramal. February 14th, uh, 1934, selected letters for, yeah, Lovecraft wrote, Yagoth had a sort of Arabic or Harebic cast to suggest certain words passed down from antiquity to the magical formulae that contained in Moorish and Jewish manuscripts. Nug and Yeb suggested the dark, mysterious tones of Tartar or uh, the folklore. I'll try to represent the de- uh, different variants under which different races differ to the same thing as remembered from primitive times. Thus, I had Yashagoth uh, occur as Yashagothal among the Aztecs. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that was Pluto. Oh, that's cool. Apparently, yeah. Uh, Tash. Oh my God. Uh, Shagow. Yeah, Sithagua. Chicagua? Yeah. An amorphous toad god. Oh, I love it. A creature. Oh, I love it. Uh, We will learn more about that later. Uh, 30. uh, Azathoth. um, The monstrous nuclear chaos personified as scripted in uh, below in this story. Also, the blind idiot god who we all the dreams of. And if he wakes up. Uh, we will. We'll, we we're going. We're away. fucked. <laughs> yeah, which is why there's a ring of elder uh, of elder beings uh, singing uh, a chorus of lullabies to it. Which is, I I love that. I love the idea of that. I just I'm in love with the idea of that so much. Um, yes. Too bad he barely wrote about it. <laughs> besides, in passing, uh, that like references. Yeah. There has to be more in. We'll we'll try to look for some uh, and other things. Yeah. 
Um, so Haster, uh, you know, is not as a person, not a place. Uh, first mentioned by Ambrose Bierce in his night in his 1891 story, uh, Haita the Shepherd as a god of the shepherds. Uh, Robert W. Chambers also mentioned Haster's in the King in Yellow. Yeah. And lists the names along cast, uh, constellations as well. The Hades, Haster, uh, Alder, uh, Aldebaran, which we also uh, talked about in Polaris. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yayan is the first mentioned in Robert Chambers, uh, The Maker of the Moons, 1896. Where Yayan... Yesterday, uh, I asked with deadly calmness, Yayan, I do not know, is across seven oceans in the great river, which is longer from the earth to the moon. Um, uh, 33, the uh, Yin or Lang is, uh, we mentioned in, Dream- in The Hound. And Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. Yes. Uh, the uh, Lake of Halley. Yeah, Lake of Halley is next. Uh, the city of Carcosa, which figures in Ambrose Bierce, an inhabitant of Carcosa, and Robert Chambers Lynn, the king in yellow, mm-hmm. uh, said to be found on the shore of Lake Halley. Uh, so, Bethamora is a fabled city mentioned in a 1908 story of the same name by Lord Dunsany. And the yellow sign which is from the story of the same name by Robert Chambers. The story appeared uh, first appeared in The King in Yellow. The king is an evil fell, uh, figure who exercises mind control over his victims, who are identified with their associates with the yellow sign, which in itself may control the victim. Uh, August Derleth, who developed the Cthulhu mythos far beyond uh, Lovecraft's plan identified Haster as the king in yellow and the yellow sign as the mark of his followers. Lovecraft had several collections of Chambers' works in his library, including this book. Oh, I wonder why. I wonder if he just mentions his stuff all the time. Just maybe. In there. Yeah. It's, um, hmm. it's like saying, oh, he, he he certainly doesn't like the like that one book written by Con- Cotton Mathers. Yeah. At all. He only mentions it in that, the, the, the witch cults book as well yeah like all the time uh cathulios uh was a uh, wizard that appeared in some of robert e howard's tales uh lamore might uh be a prefix might prefix might connect to caholio to uh lemuria and the last one uh bran this appears to be a reference to bran mcmorn an ancient Scottish warrior whose accounts were compiled by Robert E. Howard. Bran was also an ancient British Celtic, uh, Celtic Welsh giant who possessed a magical cauldron, which with the power to restore life to dead soldiers. Ooh. So he loves a list and all, all the things in the list require a lot to understand. Yeah. Uh, apparently Magnum Inominandum means the great not to be named in Latin. Great not to be named. Uh, I like, know make okay, them is cool. great, and I guess inominandum means not yeah. to be named. That was actually the last one, and that was exactly it. Yay! Um, <laughs> my brain world, where before I had attempted to explain things away, I now began to believe 
the most abnormal and incredible wonders. The array of vital evidence was damnably cast and overwhelming, and the cool scientific attitude of Ackley, an attitude removed as far as imaginable, the dimension, the fanatical, the hysterical, and even the extravagantly speculative, had tremendous effects on my thoughts and judgment. By the time I had laid the fearful letter aside, I could understand the fears he had come to entertain and was ready to do anything in my power to keep people away from those wild, haunted hills. Even now, when time had dulled the impression and made me half-question my own experience and horrible doubts, there are things in that letter of Ackley's which I would not quote, even in the form of words on paper. I am almost glad that the letter and record and photographs are gone now, and I wish, for reasons, I shall soon make clear that the new planet beyond Neptune is not to be discovered. And, uh, that's, that's Pluto. Yep. No, no, that's, yeah, that's Pluto. Yep, Pluto. Which was founded in... February 18th, 1930. Yeah. It takes 248 Earth years to orbit the sun. With the reading of the letter, my public debate about Vermont, the Vermont horror, permanently uh, ended. Arguments from my opponents remained unanswered or put off with promises. Eventually, the controversy petered out into oblivion. During late May and June, I was in constant correspondence with Ackley, though once in a while, letter would be lost so that we would have to retrace our ground and perform considerable laborious copying. What we were trying to do as a whole was to compare notes in a matter of obscure mythological scholarship and arrive at a clearer correlation of the Vermont horrors and with the general body of primitive world legend. For one thing, we virtually decided that these morbidities and hellish Himalayan migos were one of the same order of the incarnated nightmare. There were also absorbing zoological conjectures which I would have referred to Dr. Dexter in my own college, but Ackley's imperative command to tell no one of these matters before us. If it seems I disobeyed this command now, it's only because I think at this stage a warning about those further Vermont hills and about those Himalayan peaks, which bold explorers are more and more determined to ascend. One specific thing we were leading up to was deciphering the hieroglyphics on the infamous black stone and deciphering which might well place us in possession of secrets deeper and more dizzying than any formerly known to man. And that's the end of chapter two. Woo! I really love that Akeley sent him a bunch of uh, spooky photographs uh with terrifying images and then the last picture he sends is just like a nice selfie of him with his house and his dogs <laughs> it's great <laughs> it's i love it it's real good like hey i know i just showed you a bunch of like really fucked up stuff uh here's a pleasant picture to look at <laughs> so um fun fact yes i get to use my uh I get to use my voice changer in the next one. Ah! And also, it's a shorter one. I feel like we're just going to go through all the chapters one by one on this one, just because they I, vary from I like, long to short. I like that idea.
They don't. But yeah, uh, that one was a good one too. That was good. There's a reason why I like this this story a lot. It's just it's just a really solid story throughout. I also like when our protagonist becomes friend with some rando. It's real good. Well, you probably won't like uh, Shadow over Intimate because really what he's doing is he's drugging a person. He's basically drugging a person to tell him more things that he doesn't want to say out loud. Damn it. That's not how you form a friendship. I mean, he could. I mean, that is one way of doing it. You could do. I if he was also doing the drugs, <laughs> yeah, then it then it'd be better <laughs> if they're both doing drugs. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> if only one person but, is doing the drugs, it's very concerning. <laughs> it is. Oh yeah, that was great. That was a good expansion upon the first chapter. I feel like after Dunwich Horror, uh, like, we've seen HP take some real sharp turns into better quality of stories before, and I feel like it's happened again. Um, after Dunwich Horror, I feel like he's getting better at these longer form stories. Yeah, he definitely is. Like, this one and is that- so much better than, uh, The Case of Charles Dexter Ward. Yeah, this this is just gonna get better throughout... Yeah, I see why you like this story so much. It's about a guy uh, investigating a cryptid. (laughs) Cryptids. uh, Cryptids. Yeah. But, uh, do you have anything else to say? Nope. That was it. It's a good chapter. Can't wait for more. Yep. Uh, well, um, let's do the outro. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, no. Okay. Unless it's somebody yeah. else's series. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> go go read uh, Mystery Flesh Pit. It's good. It's a horror blog. It's at mysteryfleshpit.tumblr.com. <laughs> so, uh, you are the replaceable gash in the fabric of reality. Your keening static hal is like no other. And if it faded from the abyss, the void that would remain would be unfillable, and the mansions of silence would forever fill with our lament. Bye. Okay, bye.